welcome back. Here we are two weeks in a row, able to do a, a, a podcast um, during this uh, bizarre, strange time in, in our lives. Um, but we are, we're, we're coming to you through Zoom uh, once again. Uh, Richard, it's good to see you virtually. Uh, or virtually. Yeah, it's good to see you. Sorry, we can't be side by side as we were for so many uh, years, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, at yeah, least my daughter had on the screen. Yeah, yeah, my daughter listened. My daughter watched our podcast last week, and uh, she she thought it was pretty cool that we were able to do this with Zoom, and we were both on the screen together. So, yeah, at least she was impressed. So, but <laughs> but I have to admit, and I told her I I feel a little rusty. Yeah, you know, yeah. We, we weren't able to do them for a while as we were trying to adjust to the new because uh, we had spent several years doing the podcast a certain way. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly we had to stop doing that and had to develop a new system. But um, I, I did, I have to admit, I felt a little bit rusty. So, right. Um, yeah, and it's distracting because, um, of course, you're there at the office, uh, recording from there. Uh, mm -hmm. It's more difficult for you to record from home. And uh, here I am at home recording and, you know, the, our environment is so different and it's so, it's right. distracting and, um, but it's good to it's good to be back and talking, and it's good to um, finally be able to get some you know information out and to be able to to share uh, with folks some of our perspectives and, and thoughts about a variety of things. And today we're going to do part two of our um, back to school amidst the coronavirus uh, pandemic. And um, last week we talked about how you know the idea of returning to school is both complicated and um contentious right um as, as every issue is with this um disease i mean it's just everybody's frustrated because you can't make sense of it anymore you know it just goes on and on and on and, and there's conflicts and conflicting information and arguments and um and so like with every other aspect of this disease school reopening is both complicated and contentious Right. Now, today we're going to talk about it um, in, in a slightly different way, and we're going to talk about sort of the, the, the spectrum of um, aspirational and practical, right? Um, That's right. That's right. The, the, it, that, that spans a, a, a wide spectrum of, of opportunities and possibilities. Um, but, but, you know, in many ways, the way that we talk about schools reopening is is quite that aspirational you know we, we talk about hey you know come mid-august we're going to all, all the kids are going to be back at school you know it's going to be so much better than the last quarter of, of the, mm -hmm. the previous school year um because we're going to fix all those problems and everything is going to be great and we're going to get everything back going and um the world will be right again that's right because last year last spring when we had to close schools when when schools just abruptly shut down at about the time that spring break rolled around. And I think all of us assumed that, well, we have this emergency, uh, the end of school emergency, and but but we'll be back in August, so we'll make up for lost time. Well, suddenly, during, during in the course of the summer, as infection rates continue to rise, we realized that things in August may not be quite back to normal. But during the summer, we, we saw this, um, argument building where we had political leaders um, 
making what amounted to an aspirational goal of uh, let's open all the schools in August. Okay, let's, when we go back to the new school year, let's open up everything. We've got to get our schools open again. And everybody, the American Academy of Pediatrics and other professional organizations, everybody started weighing in on, on this topic of reopening schools. And, um, and we, you and I referred to it as an aspirational goal. At the federal level, you had the president and the secretary of education using words like, we demand that all schools reopen completely five days a week in August. Yeah. And at the state level, you have the governor and the commissioner of education um, mandate that our commissioner of education in Florida said, we, we're mandating, we are, we are demanding that all schools reopen by August. Well, August is here, uh, actually it's here today. Yeah. Um, and um, we may not be ready to open the schools yet. So again, you know, we see this as with every other uh, aspect of this disease, uh, we see, and now it's a much more complicated issue. But those were aspirational goals. It, it was our, it was an aspirational goal that all schools would reopen. Then when you make that decision, then suddenly you reach the practical aspects of what is it like to reopen. And as right. you and I discussed, you know, what if you were a superintendent or what if you were a principal? Right. You know, what do you, what do you, how do you make, how do you make the aspirational goal um, happen in your district or in your school building? Right. Absolutely. And, and it is, um, it, it seems as though like so many things that begin with a political statement, Sure. You know, it's the bar is set or the expectation is set at, at such a level that it can't always be manifest. Right. Um, you know, it reminds me back to, um, and we've talked many times before on this podcast about um, No Child Left Behind. Right. Um, exactly. You know, all kids will read at a third grade level. Well, right. statistically, that's impossible. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, it's we set these goals that sound wonderful because on paper, um, absolutely. Do we want all kids to be able to read at least at a third grade level? Absolutely. Um, do we want all kids back in school this month? Absolutely. There's, there's no one that disagrees with that. Not, not really anyone that disagrees with that. However, we can't just say, make it so. And, and it'll happen. happen. I'm reading a wonderful book right now. It was given to me by a dear friend of mine, uh, written by Gene Krantz, who was part of the um, uh, Gemini and uh, Apollo programs. Mm -hmm. He was the flight director. Um, and uh, and um, it's called Failure is Not an Option. And he talks about in 1962, when Kennedy went to Rice University and said, we want to put a man on the moon by the end of the decade, <laughs> right? And yeah. so that was an aspirational goal. I mean, these were rockets were still blowing up and they were just barely right. getting men into space. And Kennedy's saying, let's get somebody to the moon and back. That was an aspirational goal that these engineers then had to turn into practice. They had to get that, that they had to build the rockets and develop the systems. And it was their job to make it happen. And right. that's sort of the same situation we're facing now. We have an aspirational goal, but now somebody has to make that happen. And yeah. making it happen, you know, you, that phrase, the devil is in the details. Right. Um, it's, it's really true in this case. But the, let's, in, in that, that's a great example. Um, but there's two ma massive differences between that and where we are right now. Right. The first is um, they put a lot of financial resources into that, making that happen. That's right. First, and we're not doing that with education. Right. Right? 
Um, in fact, um, here in our state, um, education funding has decreased significantly on a, on a district by district level um, because for that, a variety of reasons. That was uh, just this, this year's budget that right. you're talking right. about, right? right? Yeah. So at a time when, you know, that because Kennedy made the money available and, and right. Congress, and it was a unified goal. Everybody in the country was, was, was behind this effort. I mean, he, he unified the entire country. That was a galvanizing um, speech that he gave Bryce that day. And so everybody got behind the astronauts became rock. They were the rock stars right. of, of their time. You know, they were, they were real celebrities and everybody wanted to know everything about them and their families. And um, so the money was there and the, the national will was there. And, and, and there was time. Yeah, they, and they weren't arguing about whether we should do it or not. And, you know, uh, there weren't these arguments that we have about this disease. Right. And, and he, but, and he, and it wasn't that we're going to be, we're going to go to the moon and back um, by August. Right. Um, it was, you know, by the end of the decade. Which yeah, you gave it 10 years. Gave right. some time. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so we're in a situation now where, um, and, and it's no one's fault that, that time is an issue because, you know, um, let's go by. Right. And, and getting kids back in an educational environment is important because the more time that they're away from it, we know that the, um, the more of an impact that has on their, um, current functional levels and, and things like that, just simply by going through the summer months, the two months that we have off for summer, um, going through those two months without reading kid, many kids will, will lose, um, three grade levels, uh, you know, up to three grade levels of uh, education, of reading skills um, during that time frame. So thinking about kids being out of a um, consistent educational environment for as long as they've been, um, it's difficult to anticipate how significant of, a, of, a, of an effect this is going to have on them. So, um, so it's, it's not anyone's fault that time is pressing, but mm -hmm. we have to make sure that we are uh, going about this in, in an appropriate way. Um, right. And you're right, it's, it's aspirational at the, at the federal level, it's aspirational at the, um, the state, state level, right. and to some extent it's aspirational at the, at the district and local levels. Sure. Um, so, so we have multiple layers here that we have to work through uh, in, in order to make it re uh, practical, a reality. Right. Yeah, you make a good point. The, the time issue is, is, is really an important one because um, if we were able to say, we will do everything we can to reopen schools by some date in the future, but we don't have that date because in our country, schools reopen in August. Okay? Right. So, so there's this hard date that, that everybody's, uh, that we're lurching toward. And we can't, we can't, nobody can change, well, you could, but that date isn't going to change. Or the role that schools play is not going to change. I mean, you can't say, well, if it doesn't happen, well, no. Schools are a part of our social fabric. I think one of the ironies that, that struck me during this whole debate was schools and teachers have taken enormous criticism uh, mm -hmm. since the 1980s. Um, and, and they've been criticized that they're not good and they're not this and they're not that. But as soon as they were taken away, suddenly their value rose. And we said, oh, no, 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 we have to have schools. We have to get our kids back in the classroom. Right. And, and we suddenly realized that schools are a part of our social fabric. They're, they're an integral part of our social fabric. So let's, let's be careful about how we treat them. And all of those are, are, are valid reasons for pressing uh, the issue of reopening. I mean, you know, kids need to be in school. 
um, you know, it, it's good for them, it, it's healthy for them. Um, you, know, are, you know, other arguments, like we talked about last week, you know, mm -hmm. the other arguments for getting them back to school, you know, related to, um, you know, kids don't get, kids don't tend to um, experience uh, coronavirus as significantly right. as, as many adults. Right. They still get mm -hmm. sick. They they still um, there's still risks. I mean, yeah. As of as of July, June or July, uh, seventy seven children have died from this disease, yeah. and uh, almost a thousand have been put into pediatric intensive care units. So right. it's not that they're immune. Um, the rates are much lower, mm -hmm. and children under the age of ten probably aren't as affected by this disease, um, and even teenagers. Um, uh, aren't as affected as, as the elderly or the medically uh, compromised, but they're still getting sick. They still have the potential to get sick. Right. And, and there's a lot of, you know, comments and rumors and hypotheses, I suppose, about, you know, whether or not kids with the virus can pass it on to adults right. with the virus. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, the issue is we, we don't know for certain a lot of those those questions and and there are there are many people who are just making statements and and making claims i don't know where they're getting all of their science from or if they're getting science at all mm -hmm. um and i don't know if they are you know where they're drawing this information from mm -hmm. but the point is is that there's so much of it that we don't know you, you can't just make decisions based upon the way that something looks if you don't know what's really happening and right. and we're missing that piece, I think, at the, both at the federal and state level, when right. we're making some of these aspirational goals, we're not really thinking about, you know, the fact that, or, or the, the, the likelihood um, that some of the reports are looking like that, um, even if you don't have the, even if you don't experience really significant symptoms from the, from the illness, from the virus, um, it could have long-term effects on the functioning right. of your lungs and your heart and, and some of those things. So, there's so much that we don't know. We, we have to err on the side of caution just to be right. safe for everyone. That's right. Yeah, because, I mean, as you say, nobody disputes that the schools should be open. Nobody argues with that. Uh, parents need it. Children need it. Um, you know, we forget that schools uh, provide food for children. Right. They provide a safe environment for children. Children leave dangerous homes, and they're safe. At least they're safe in the hours that they're in the school building. Okay? Right. And, and they get food, they get fed when they're in the school building. You know, 25% of kids are food insecure, but they can eat when they get to school. Um, and so we know the economy needs it. Our economy can't run unless kids are taken out of their homes so their parents can go to work, okay? And so we don't have huge daycare facilities, childcare facilities, but we do have schools. Mm -hmm. And so kids go into school and that allows their parents to go to work. Um, and the other argument we hear is that, well, other countries have done this. Right. You know, other countries have opened up their schools. Well, they did, but their infection rates were minuscule compared to ours. You know, when, when Denmark, or for example, when Denmark opened its schools, their infection rate was 3.32 per 100,000. Germany's was 0 0.81, 0 0.81 per 100,000. And Norway was 1.5. The United States is 17.6. We can say other countries have opened their schools. What we've never done, what nobody in the world has done is, what happens if you open your schools with an infection rate of 17%? Right. What will be the effect? And we just don't know. Right. And I, I heard yesterday from somebody from Germany who said that 
the German schools reopened, but the infection rates are rising again and they may have to close the schools in Germany again. So even in countries where they, and that happened in Israel, they opened up their schools and they were open for about two months and they shut everything down because the infection rate skyrocketed after they opened their schools. So, right. well, um, not, um, you, you said 17.6 per 100,000. Per 100,000. Right. Yeah, so not 17%. Not 17% no, no. of the country had it, that would be... No, no, no. 17, yeah, 17 per 100,000. Right, which but is still... comparing that, Germany had less than one. Right. We have right. 17, okay? And they opened their schools, and they're now seeing infections rise with that, what, by comparison, was a minuscule infection rate. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you just simply think about the fact that, um, you know, if you, I have a school with, with, one of, one of the schools that I work in has eight, about 800 students. Mm -hmm. You know, if, um, if eight of those students have it and are not right. asymptomatic, right? Um, and, and you just think that each of those students expose a couple of other students every day. Right. And each of those students expose a couple of other students every day. That's how it works. By the time the first group start to show symptoms about two weeks later, a right. week or two later, um, mm -hmm. the entire, you know, a, a significant portion of the school, including adults, are going to start right. presenting with the, with it. So, again, we have to be wise. We have to be mindful of, of these potential risks and, and not just say, this is what we need. This is what needs to happen because need to be in school. So let's just make it happen because, you know what, right. kids don't get that sick anyways. Right. That's right. So when we talk about other countries, we're talking about other countries with a very, very low right. infection rate. And all of these countries did a phased reopening. Right. They didn't just throw open the doors. They all did a phase. In Japan, the high school students, the students started first. In some countries, the youngest children started first. But in all countries, it was a phased reopening. So in our country, we have very high infection rates. So we also have to decide what kind of a phased, it's gonna be a phased reopening. You cannot just open every building. Okay? Exactly. So it has to be a phased reopening. But when you do the practical aspects of a, of a phased reopening, um, how do you make those decisions? On what do you base those decisions? For example, the CDC came out the other day and said that for schools to reopen, an air estate should have about a 5% um, infection rate. Right. Okay? And, and so um, as of July, only four states were able to get um, infection rates uh, that low. Okay. Right. And so um, in our state right now, I don't know what it is in Florida, 12, 12%, something like that. Do you know what the infection rate? I, I don't. Yeah. It's, it's double digits. I mean, it's a double digit number. Um, so the infection rate is two or three times what it should be right now. And so, um, so we have to remember that the infection rate has to come down and we have to talk about phase reopening. Right. Those, those two factors. Right. So when we're making these decisions and we're thinking about who we're listening to, we, we need to be mindful of their motives. Um, mm. You know, um, I, I think that the, the undercurrent and we, Richard, we cannot get into this topic, but I'm, I'm going to mention it, but I don't, I don't talk about politics. You're anymore. not allowed to say anything about this, but okay. the, you know, an underlying Gulf stream, um, if you will, is um, November. That's right. The election's coming up. So, you know, all of the politicians want to make it look as though they are being 
active and hard on this topic on this on this issue and making you know firm decisions that you know their constituents want and in, in everything um, that may or may not be consistent with science in any way. I mean, we have we have protesters. We have people who are protesting wearing masks in public places where they are going to be risking where they risk infecting other people or being infected by other people. Um, but it's their right, they say, because um, it's their body. Uh, they can do what they want. And while that's absolutely true, we there, there's no community to that. There's no, you know, let's think about what, how we're affecting each other. And, and it's the same thing at schools. You know, we can right. throw kids in there, but we're not thinking about what that means for everyone else. And so when you're, when you're, whether you're listening to the CDC professionals or you're listening to the politicians or whomever you're deciding to listen to, um, think about some of those other motives that they might have to say the things that they're saying and promote the things that they're promoting. That's right. That's right. Because when you, when you talk about making this happen at a practical level, uh, because you know, I mean, you have to assume, everybody needs to assume that as soon as you start putting people back together, infection rates are going to rise. Right? So we know that. So you do everything you can to mitigate and prevent. Right. But when you talk about superintendents and principals, these are people, they're, they're individuals, they're citizens. And what is their belief system? You know, do they believe the scientists or do they believe the politicians? Right. And there are school administrators and teachers who simply don't believe that this disease is, is real. They don't believe in masks. They don't, they believe that people should have rights. I mean, they, they are entitled to their opinions. Okay. But, but the, uh, the decisions they make for reopening, mm -hmm. you base those on your, is it, do you base those on your biases, on your opinions and beliefs, or do you base them on science? So that's the first question. Okay. And then, so for example, how do you decide if you're a superintendent in Florida, we have county, wide school systems. If you're the superintendent of a county school system, um, on what do you base your decision to open the schools? Is it 5%, is it 10%, is it 8%? Do you even get to decide? Or are you told by somebody else mm -hmm. that you must reopen your school? So, so what, what data do you want? What data are you going to use? I mean, right. that becomes the first question, okay? Absolutely, and, and, and you know, I think that something else that, that gets pulled into this that has to be weighed in is the issue of liability. That's, I keep asking that question, and I, I, I fear that it's going to be settled years later through, um, through court law, through, through case law. Absolutely. I mean, imagine the number. We have people who sue restaurants because they got burned on their coffee. Right. Um, imagine right. what happens if someone, if a kid goes to school and brings home COVID-19 to, um, you know, a, a grandmother or a, a grandparent or a, a parent who, or sibling that's, you know, health compromised um, and they get sick and, you know. Bernie, what, how many, schools or, do you how many schools do you cover? Um, three. Okay. Let's say school A has a very low infection rate and nobody dies. Right. But school B has a very, their infection rate skyrockets and two kids die. Mm -hmm. What is going to be the obvious question? Right. What was After that school? Who screwed up? Somebody right. screwed up because your numbers are higher than your number. We have 150 schools in our county. Yeah. They're going to all have different rates. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you don't think that somebody's going to raise that question about, well, why did this school have a 20% infection rate and these schools had a 3% infection rate? Right. Somebody if, screwed up. Or if a teacher goes to school and, and the te a teacher gets it, is that a worker's comp issue? One of the things the Senate is arguing about right now is they're trying to, they're, they want to introduce the notion that there is no liability. If you have your workers come back, the company cannot be held liable. This is a sticking point that's being debated in Congress right now. Well, the same applies to schools. Is anybody going to be held accountable? I would be absolutely terrified if I was a principal right now over that issue because you have no control over the infection rates, but your school is going to look like an outlier. You're going to look like there's some problem here, and somebody is going to be held accountable. And you're right. That's what I'm saying. And you're in the in the end, ultimately, you, the principal, are in, you're responsible for that school, that building, right. and everybody that's inside it. Right. What if, a teacher, what, what if a teacher gets COVID and doesn't realize it, mm -hmm. and then she spreads it to her students, and one of those students dies? Mm -hmm. yeah. Or one of those students is seriously medically compromised? That's what teachers are thinking about. You know, so we can, we can talk about schools reopening, but keep in mind the, the enormous responsibility that superintendents, principals, and teachers must right. be feeling right now. Right. And, and then there's the, the, the additional layer of stress that a lot of teachers are feeling right now because they still can't get into their classrooms. You know, school, oh, they can. school, school, I, here, uh, school here starts in a, in a few weeks. And, um, you know, because there's, many of the schools are still doing cleaning and still doing some different things, um, teachers can't get into their, their classrooms. They can't get access to, to their stuff. And so, so yeah, they're being told you, you're going to, you need to, you're going to have to return to work. Um, mm -hmm. in one of a couple of different capacities, perhaps, but if you're going to be in the classroom, um, you know, you're going to have to, um, you, you know, it's going to be just like normal. And so they want to get into their classrooms to start preparing and start working just right. like they normally would. And they're not able to. <laughs> so now, they're going to be scrambling at the last minute to try right. to get everything ready. So it's, there's a lot of layers to this that we're, right. that, that when we make statements from on, from on high uh, about schools will reopen, we're not really thinking about those minutiae. Right. And so, so liability, liability is a huge issue. Okay. The other biggest issue I think that the school personnel, school administrators are struggling with is how do you ensure safety? Okay. And you're I, talking I, about well, safety. I, I listened to our local um, school board meeting um, last week. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, while most of the people on the school board were advocates for, make, for requiring that the students wear masks and stuff like mm -hmm. that, we had school board members who said, no, I, we don't, I don't think we should do that. I don't think we should require masks. If they want to wear masks, they can, but if we, we shouldn't require them to. That's right. That, that is really difficult to understand. I mean, the, the two things that we know will protect are masks and social distancing. Right. But we're not going to require them. Right. Um, we're, still, we're still suing each other at a state level. You know, Georgia, the, the right. governor of Georgia is suing the mayor of Atlanta because she's mandating masks. It's the only way to drive down the effect. You know, Vietnam and Germany and Denmark, they didn't have these differences. They didn't have these debates. They wore masks. They did, you know, Vietnam had the lowest social, the lowest rates of infection in the world. 
They had like four people get this disease in Vietnam because they, they immediately cracked down and they stopped the spread. But we're still fighting over, you have a right not to wear a mask. I mean, when we know that a mask is effective. Right. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so one is, how do you ensure, you know, do you, what is your mask policy? Uh, what if a kid comes in? What if a student comes into school and says, my parents said I don't have to wear a mask? Right. How, yeah. That's a constitutional battle. That could end up in the Supreme Court. Right. In the meantime, people are spreading the disease. So what is your social distancing policy? Uh, do you take temperature? In Japan, they take a temperature. They have the temperature on it. Well, um, but if kids are asymptomatic, they're right. not going to have the temperature and they're going to have the disease with no temperature. Right. Okay. Yeah, so th there are so many aspects of it, and, and um, you know we've heard the um, I, I've heard many times now. We wrote about this in our our column for our local newspaper this week, mm -hmm. but um, the we've heard the argument many times now comparing teachers to medical professionals that yes. you know right. um, you know medical professionals can work with people who are sick all day long and they don't right. they don't get it. So you know teachers should be able to do the same thing. They should be able okay. to you know. Um, the, the 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 settings are so vastly different right um you know there is there is no what imagine just for a moment having a class if we think about a reduced size classroom imagine for a moment having nine five-year-olds right or even or even nine um eight-year-olds mm -hmm. how do you keep them apart how do you make sure that you know Johnny isn't loaning Susie his pencil <laughs> and so that is going to um, right. I, they're going to go to they're going to borrow books they're going to you know use paper they're going to do all these things mm -hmm. how do you how do you you, you can control all of that in a hospital setting in a medical right. setting you can't control that in a classroom in a hospital setting you're dealing with one patient you have a plastic covering for your whole body you have a mask you throw all that out and put another clean set on for the next patient mm -hmm. we're not going to do that in schools right we're, we're not going to change you're dealing with groups of people you're not going to be able to change for a moment you know with each kid you deal with so yeah. but teachers you know think about teachers they range in age from roughly 25 to 65 Mm -hmm. The risk of a 25-year-old is completely different than a 65-year-old. Right. Uh, does the 65-year-old expose herself? You know, to, to, should she come in? Should that teacher come in? Um, what about medical conditions? Right. What if the teacher has diabetes? What if the teacher has asthma? What if the teacher is uh, chemotherapy? Okay. Um, what What are their rights? Do they have a right to say no? And if they say no, are they re are they resigning? Right. Okay. So again, you have all these legal questions. Um, are masks required of teachers? Right. Do schools have a right? If the state doesn't demand it, do schools have the right to demand it? Right. Okay. Um, these are these are questions I think that are that are not answered. What if a teacher says yes, but only if I have a have a plexiglass shield that I can wear during the day? Mm -hmm. um, does the school provide that, or does the teacher have to provide her own? And can the teacher even get one? Right. Can you even buy one? Right. You know. And who pays for that? Well, the teacher's going to going to have to supply their own equipment. Um, in our once again. July 21st, the Florida, uh, Florida Teacher Association had to file a lawsuit. Um, demand, uh, and the lawsuit was to stop the governor from demanding and insisting and mandating that they return to school. What they were asking for is, hey, let's slow this whole thing down and yeah. let's not just jump, jump into the deep end of this pool. 
Um, the other thing I, I don't know whether the school district has said anything about this. Have they talked about substitutes? Um, they, they have um, because they, they offered teachers the opportunity to, you know, say whether they would rather come to school brick and mortar or go to school right. um, e-learning, um, right. teach e-learning. Um, and so those who do e-learning, if, if a school, particular school um, has a subject area or um, too many teachers who want to do e-learning, right. um, yeah, they would have to then pull in substitutes and- Are there gonna be enough? I mean, substitutes make right. $80 a day or something? Yeah, yeah, I have no I idea. Mean, are they willing, are you willing to risk your life for $85 a day? Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and will there be, is there a pool of substitutes? Let's say a teacher says, I want to do in person. I want to do brick and mortar. Mm -hmm. I'm going to come into my classroom. But then she gets a cold mm -hmm. or she, some, and she has to miss a week. Do we have enough, are there going to be enough substitutes right. to cover? The other question I have is what if in a district, m many, most teachers, let's say 80% of teachers say, I want to do this online. Right. Here, wow. here in our county, it was about 50-50, um, about 50, close to 50%, uh, I think it was like 46% or something like that, said that they wanted to do it brick and mortar, um, but like 43% um, said uh, e-learning. Well, Bernie, what if, what if there's, a, you had a school, eight, how many teachers are in that school with 800 kids? Um, oh, I don't know, like... 60? 60, something like okay. that. What if there's a mismatch between, let's say 80% of the kids want brick and mortar, but only 30% of the teachers want brick and mortar? Right. How do you, how do you balance those two? Right. Well, and you know what, I just, I, I just had to look because I had my numbers reversed because um, those numbers, the 46 and 43 were for the students. That's what the parents voted. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Teachers were, more, were close to 30, percent um so about 30 percent said that they close to 30 percent said that they would do brick and mortar uh another 30 percent said that they would do either um either way so so what, so what if you have what what if all the second grade teachers in a school say we're not coming in yeah do you have to reassign teachers yeah they're going to be reassigning and you have two weeks to get ready you're teaching fourth grade now you're going to teach second grade right exactly. so you have two weeks to get ready Okay. Yeah. So um, there's these are the kind of practical considerations right. when people say get them back to school. These are the kind of practical considerations that most people don't have to think about. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so yeah. And what so, about? Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I'm just going to say there, there. There's lots of these details that we're just not attending to right. that we really need to attend to to make sure that we are going to prepare students, pre and prepare teachers, and protect everyone that's involved. Right. Right. Um, and, you know, we hope that, you know, in, by talking about this stuff that, you know, that, that everyone will make their voice heard to make sure that we take care of this. That we're thinking about all these issues. Yeah, that we're yeah. thinking about all we these haven't even, We haven't even discussed buses yet. Right. Well, yeah. Nobody has any idea what they're going to do about that. Right. <laughs> we're going to open the schools in two. They say open the schools on uh, August 15th or 17th or 20th or 24th. It doesn't matter. Pick a date. Yeah. But um, what about buses? Right. I mean, yeah. do you buy more buses? Or do you, what, what about bus drivers? Usually right. bus drivers are retired. Many times they're retirees. Okay. Right. 
or there are people who want to, how do you protect them? Absolutely. You, know, you put them in a, in a plexiglass bubble. Do they take temperatures of kids before they get on the bus? Right. Yeah. What if a kid has an elevated temperature? Do you put them, you can't put them out on the street. Absolutely. You know, his so, parents have dropped them off. Exactly. And, and again, um, we need to make sure that we're talking about these things. We need to make sure that um, folks are letting their voice be heard and, and informing you know, those people that are involved in making some of these decisions that they know that we're thinking about these things and that they need to be right. thinking about these things. So, um, Yeah, I just, I, I think that the, the questions, I mean, they just keep multiplying. It's, it's, yeah. like, they're, it's like a fungus, you know, it just keeps, um, the questions just keep growing and growing and growing. Absolutely. And, and we have to think about it. I think it's incumbent on all of us to, to think about this from the perspective of teachers, and other people in the school building and principals who are going to feel this enormous responsibility okay. and superintendents who are the ultimate decision makers. And we've got to think about this from their point of view. Absolutely. So as, as, as all of this pans out over the next couple of weeks, we will work hard to um, keep everyone updated. We will keep talking about this um, whenever new issues come up. And um, if, if anyone listening has any thoughts or ideas or questions or anything like that, you know, reach out to us, let us know, and we'd be happy to uh, find, gather whatever information we can and, and share it with everyone. So. Right. Um, there we, we talked about cost, you know, that the space program was fully funded, uh, whereas No Child Left Behind was never fully funded. When we make these educational decisions, we have to fund them adequately, okay? And, and there was, I don't know whether we ever mentioned this before, but when the American Academy of Pediatrics came out um, in favor, um, saying that they wanted uh, the, that and other organizations came out and said, you know, it's, it's really important that schools reopen. But then at the end of each article, it was as long as certain conditions can be met, okay? And so at the end of one of the reports, it said that the cost of implementing, did I ever mention the cost? Did I do that in the first? I can't remember. I can't remember. And the cost of implementing COVID-19 precautions, and they said will be very high. Right, and they did a they did a um, they did an analysis. One school district had eight buildings and thirty two hundred students. Mm -hmm. Eight schools, thirty two hundred students. It would cost one point eight million dollars. Right, eight buildings, thirty two hundred students. Right. Our district has one hundred and fifty buildings mm -hmm. and a hundred thousand students. Right, if you do the math, our district doesn't have that. I don't know any district that has that kind of money. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's what I'm we were talking, talking about, about earlier, that we, you know, funding is already being cut, so there's no way. No, we have cuts, we have cuts in our funding. Absolutely. And exactly. so we're talking about tens of millions of dollars to put the precautions, I and mean, we're talking, we talked this morning about what are the precautions, but we're talking about tens of millions of dollars at a time when we have a budget shortfall. Absolutely. We, we don't have enough money. Right, yeah, so, so again, we'll, we'll keep an eye out, we'll keep, our, our ears to the ground and listen and right. watch for new information and we'll, we'll share it when we can because new things are going to keep unfolding every week. So right. yeah, uh, one of the things that we're going to put, I think we're going to add to the show notes. Um, the CDC has issued new guidelines. If anybody watches the news, mm -hmm. you heard this disagreement between the president and CDC about guidelines and new guidelines are going to be coming out. Well, the guidelines are out. They were issued about a week or so ago. And there's four sets of guidelines. And I think it might be helpful to post them on our website 
so that people can look at them and, and take a look at at least what the CDC is saying. Absolutely. Hopefully the CDC will be involved, um, will yeah. continue to be involved because they are the acknowledged experts in this field. So, Absolutely. Um, so we can post those um, in these show notes. Certainly will, certainly will. So, all right, well, great to Good talk to you about again. all this. Yeah. And we'll keep it up and um, yeah, so we'll keep you informed, so. Yeah. All right, well that's it then, I guess for today. Um, until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and forget to be afraid. Never meant quite so much, right? <laughs> stay right. healthy, right? Exactly, stay healthy. Who would have guessed? Okay, good seeing you again. Mm -hmm.